been given the subject of church government in the local church. Now in looking at this subject of church government, I'd like us to just turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and we'll look at verse 1 and 8 and 10. Verse 1, 8 and 10 of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And verse 10, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. So the Bible then tells us that the Lord Jesus is king and head over all things. He is the king of glory, as we have read, the Lord of hosts, the ruler of the heavens and the earth, and the Lord of all creation. As ruler and king and head, he has absolute power and authority over all creation. This power given to him by the Father gives him the right to rule over everything, and that includes the church, his body. He rules and builds, therefore, every local church, every faithful local church is ruled by Christ. How does he rule? He exercises his rule, his power, his authority through offices. And the Lord has provided offices in the churches. So then, in looking at this issue of the governance of the church, I'd like us to consider three aspects of this government of the church. The first one is the nature of church government. Secondly, some golden rules of governance. And thirdly, the Christian ministry. So firstly then, the nature of church government. Webster's Dictionary defines governance as the act or process of governing or overseeing the control and direction of something such as a country or an organization. So we see that even in the ordinary use of the word governing, there are aspects of overseeing, directing, controlling, and organizing. And these aspects are relevant even in the church of Jesus Christ. And so, having this definition in mind, we perhaps can appreciate the government of the Lord Jesus Christ over his people in the church. Now, many people, especially today, 
don't like the idea of government, whether it's civil government or other types of government, especially, I must say, the young generation, uh, the uh, generation known as Generation Z, they don't like the idea of someone telling them what to do. Well, in the Church of Jesus Christ, there is such a thing as government, and the Bible tells us that we must submit to civil government as well as to government in the church. And so then, in the church, government is, as we said earlier, it's exercised by Christ through offices. Every church has church officers and members, or should have church officers and members. These church officers would be elders and deacons. Those are the only two officers in the church that have been set by the Lord in his word. So then we've got elders who rule according to the word of God. They give themselves to prayer. They have a private prayer, obviously, and then they have public prayer in the churches. They organize a prayer meeting where the members of the church can gather together to pray. But elders rule as well through exhortation, drawing people aside on a one-to-one basis, perhaps maybe even take a Bible study and so on. They administer sacraments, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, as well as baptism. The elders are there to defend the faith against those who would pervert the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith of the brethren in the churches. They exercise discipline. They have to as part of their work. They labor for souls as well and watch over themselves. And we especially see this in Acts chapter 20 verse 8 where the Apostle Paul, he gathers the elders at Ephesus and has a word with them about the need for them to watch. He says in verse 28 of Acts 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, watch yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And so, so important for elders to carry out these tasks. Now, among the elders, there will be a plurality of offices, except there won't be parity. And I know this is a controversial issue. Some people say all elders are the same, and there isn't anyone that is chief over the others. But actually, the Bible tells us in First Timothy and Uh, chapter 5 and verse 17, it tells us that there is one or more who are, if you like, chief over the other elders. And these elders are described as those who labor in the word and doctrine. In other words, these are pastors and teachers or ministers 
if you like. And these men, they minister with the elders' consent, the other elders' consent, and lead the churches. We have an example given to us in the Bible of Timothy in Ephesus leading that work. And people have said, no, Timothy wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a minister. Uh, Timothy was just a delegate. Actually, I, I, I beg to differ. Remember, there were elders in the church at Ephesus before Timothy went there. So if there were elders there before Timothy went there, what was the point of Timothy uh, being sent there to minister in that church? Surely he was going there to be one who labors in the word and doctrine. First Timothy tells us and shows us that Timothy was to carry on the work of a minister, was to preach and teach in the congregation there. And this letter is sent to him to exhort him, to encourage him in the ministry. How do we learn about ministry except if we read books like First Timothy? How does a church minister know how to carry out the work of a minister unless he reads this book of First Timothy. Surely this is the pattern. This is what we should read as a blueprint for ministry in the churches. And we notice in the Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 that the Lord has gifted Ministers, we just look at that and, 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 and see what it says. So, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll have a look. Christ has ascended, And so in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. When we look into the Christian ministry, the section on the Christian ministry, we'll look more into that aspect. But we see there Christ providing, as it were, ministers. Incidentally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 describes the Lord as bishop and overseer, pardon me, as a shepherd and a bishop of souls. And we see there, we could substitute those words and say, the Lord is the pastor and overseer of souls. So God clearly has set up people in the churches to govern the churches. He has given authority he exercises his rule through those elders. I won't say much about deacons, not because I don't think it's important, but we haven't got much time to look into everything. We'll go clearly into other aspects of the elders that we have to look at. These uh, elders, they, are, they have to be qualified in order to be an elder, one has to be qualified. There are qualifications laid out in the scriptures. 
Now, those qualifications, if you look at them, actually, any Christian who is faithful, who is godly, will meet those qualifications. Even a woman will meet those qualifications. You might say to yourself, no, that's not possible. Well, maybe she's not a man, so obviously she falls out. But every Christian man or any Christian man could meet the qualifications laid out. So potentially, any Christian man could be an elder, could be chosen as an elder. And so those qualifications, they're there for us to look at. I'm not going to go into them in detail, but there's so many aspects and a lot of them have to do with the moral uh, uprightness. Uh, for instance, in First Timothy 3 and verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. Those are characteristics and traits that any Christian could have and should have. And so those would be qualifications of an elder. I need to move on. Secondly, we want to consider golden rules of church government. Golden rules. Some rules that we need to bear in mind in terms of church government. I'll look at just a few, maybe five. Five golden rules. The first one is Christ's headship. The elders are to rule, if you like, on behalf of Christ. They're not ruling as though they were Christ. They're not ruling as though they've got the authority intrinsically. Elders are ruling as servants, if you like, and Christ is head over all. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 tells us that Christ is the head. And we then have to consider the fact that he has instructed in his word how elders are to rule, how church congregations are to behave and so on in, in response to that rule. Christ heads the church and no one else. But secondly, independence. Churches are independent of any influence from outside. Elders themselves are to be independent in terms of their governance. They shouldn't be responding to someone outside their church in terms of how they manage the congregation. Elders are to have discussions together independent of anyone else except when they need to con consult the church over issues but there shouldn't be any undue influence on the elders whether that's internal or external and whether that's coming from a friend of the elders that's in the church or a family member that's in the church they should always have that independence as they rule the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, there's a rulership by elders. That's what we believe. We're particular Baptists. We believe that rule is by the elders. The elders should lead, if you like, 
they are to consult or with the consent, pardon me, of the congregation, they are, however, to rule in the churches. It's not the congregation's business to tell the elders what to do. And you find this in many churches where they believe that the elders are servants of the church and elders are to do what the church says. And you, you see that in church meetings where church members are telling the elders what to do. In fact, in certain situations, women in the churches are telling elders what to do. They're exercising authority over the elders, and that's not right. The scriptures are clear. Women are not to exercise authority to men in the churches. And you, you get the situation in other churches where elders are afraid to do anything without consulting the church. They can't move, they can't make plans. They're always consulting, and that creates a problem for them. They cannot do the things that they should be doing. So rule by elders. Rule with consent. Again, they have to rule with consent. Elders must not be bullies and doing whatever they want in the churches. They must always, especially in major issues to do with the church, they must always consult the members of the church just to know their minds and so on. In a situation where the elders cannot agree amongst themselves before they uh, ask for consent, the pastor, the minister must not bulldoze his way through what they need to do is seek the Lord's face and the Lord would direct them. But even when they get a situation where the church is not with them, but they believe that that's the right thing, they should go on their knees and seek the Lord's face and pray that the Lord will get the church to see the direction they're going to. If the church takes a little longer to agree, then the elders must be patient. Maybe the Lord is directing them and showing them that they should wait. Maybe he would rather have them depend upon him for a little longer over some issue maybe. And so there should be that ruling with consent and getting the church, as it were, to come alongside. Now, ruling by consent doesn't mean that you are ruling by, say, 100% consent. So if there's some people who don't agree, and then you say to yourselves, well, some people don't agree, so we won't go ahead with what we want to go ahead with in the church. If you can get enough people to come alongside, you go ahead and do what you have purpose to do. Another golden rule is the visible local church, the gathered church. There is a gathered church. We were hearing earlier about the internet church. And one of the things about the internet church is that that isn't the gathered church. You're not gathering together physically. There must be a physical gathering in order for rule to be exercised. How do elders discipline a person who's out 
on the internet. He's watching. She or he is watching. Are watching from the from the uh, from home on the internet. How does the elder get access to that person? How does an elder exhort that person? You're watching on YouTube. There isn't any co contact between you and the elders. And and how does the minister minister to you if you're away from the church? How to how do you get counsel from the church leaders unless there's a visible local church? How do you have fellowship with even the church leaders? There should be fellowship between church leaders and members of the church. That's not possible unless there's a gathered church. So important for that to be the case. But also, I think I'm going to just add another one. This should be, in fact, it's probably the most important. I should have started with that. The preeminence of the ministry. That's so crucial. The word of God should take center stage in a local church. It shouldn't be a situation where the word of God is pushed aside or is just an additional thing or is considered as perhaps one of many things that are done in the church. Actually, the word of God, the ministry of the word of God should take priority over everything else in the church of Christ. And so important to bear that in mind. My time is running out. I probably won't have much time to continue in that tack. I'm going to go on to the third point, which is the Christian ministry, and I'll spend a lot more time on that because it's so crucial. The Christian ministry, where do we start? Well, we'll go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. We are told in that verse that the Lord has ascended into glory and his ascension brings about his gifting the church. He gifts the church. He gives them gifts. The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 68 in his, in that verse. Psalm 68 and verse 18, which says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended into glory, and his ascension brings about gifts of men. Gifts for what purpose? We're told those gifts are for ministry. What are those gifts? Well, he lays them out in chapter 4, verse 11. First of all, he gifts the church the apostles. And then he gifts the church prophets. And then evangelists. And then pastors and teachers. These are gifts that are people, if you like. The ascended Lord gave gifts. And these gifts are not charismatic gifts. 
These gifts are presents. The word for giving, those gifts are presents, something that is necessary. And he, he gives the church doma, if you like, gifts that are needed to men for specific purpose, for ministry, that the church of Christ might be established, might be built, and that he might present it to himself in the final day. These gifts are possessed by these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are attached to the person. They are not out away from that person. And these gifts, they endure. Obviously, the extraordinary gifts, the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists have now ceased. But the gift of pastors and teachers continue. They continue, the Lord continues to give pastors and teachers. These are persons who are gifted by the Lord. Gifted in such a way that it's not something they put on and put off. It's something that they have. They are born as it were and the Lord attaches that gift. And in due time, that gift is exercised. That's why if we say all the elders are the same, as pastors and pastors are the same as elders, we're making a mistake. Because what we're saying is, all the elders in a church are gifted as pastors and teachers. And I know people will use text to try and defend that. We'll look a little bit, I don't know if we've got enough time, but we'll look a little bit at some of those texts and try and see what we can gain from them. So God sets apart men for the ministry, equipping them with the necessary gifts to minister. Colossians chapter 4 verse 17, 1 Timothy 1 12, 2 Timothy 1 6, Titus 1 3. They're called to a local church where they are appointed as elders. Let me repeat that. They're called to a local church and appointed as elders. They had the gift of pastors and teachers before they are appointed as elders. Think of the apostle Peter. He was an elder. So was John. What gift did they have? Apostleship. Their gift of apostleship was not confused with the function of elders or office of elders. And so when we look at the gifts that Christ has given, these are tangible, demonstrable gifts. These are things that attach to a person. And the examples of those who have got that gift, the Apostle Paul was a prototype minister, Acts 15 verse 35. Timothy was a prototype minister, as was said earlier, Ephesians already had elders before Timothy went there. If those elders are pastors and teachers, what was the point of Timothy going there? If there was already someone who could be a pastor and teacher there, what was the point of sending Timothy there? Now, my time is running up. I'll just quickly go to some of the texts 
that people used to say, well, pastors are elders and elders are pastors. Let's just go to a few of them. Firstly, let's go to, I think I'll go to First Peter chapter 3. Did I say chapter 3? Chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and uh, verse 2. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. And so people look at the word feed and say, Oh, that's a pastor, that's shepherding. That's an issue to do with those who shepherd the flock. And then they go to Acts chapter 20. I'm just looking at a few. But I'm looking at the killer ones. These are the killer texts that people use. These two texts. That one in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 2. And this one in Acts chapter 20 verse 28. They say this. Take heed therefore. This is the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian ministers or elders. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, they say, those are pastors and teachers. They're supposed to be feeding the flock. But actually, that's taking, that's taking that text out of context of itself, or the words rather out of context or out of the text, if I'm making sense. When the apostles, uh, both Peter and Paul, uh, speak about feeding the church, what they mean is rule. It's to do with ruling. Because the word used, the word used there, is the same word used of the Lord Jesus Christ when we speak of him as ruling. Ruling when Christ has a scepter, as it were. He rules, and that ruling word is the same as the one that we see in the text. The issue is context. Context, dear brethren. The rule of elders in the church is what? Is being talked about, not pastoring in the way we think. Pastor and teachers is a gift from the Lord. And I quickly just quickly have time to discuss the issue of that gift. Why I think it would be a tragedy if we go on that road and route of saying all the elders are pastors and teachers, and they can do a round-robin of preaching. Firstly, we undermine the ascension gifts of the Christ. The Christ has given ascension gifts, pastors and teachers. If you say it's just the elders, or elders are pastors and teachers, then what you're saying is every elder has that gift and that's a problem that's a problem we have examples in the history or, or history pardon me 
of men who were thus gifted before they had become elders. Think of Andrew Gray, a Scottish minister. He was only 20 years old, and this is what people said about him. He's a burning light, a spark from heaven. Never in the history of our country did a man of his years make so deep a mark. He only lived for three years, and he died 23 years old. Where did he get that from? What about Fuller, Andrew Fuller of England, the greatest theologian of his century? What about Whitfield? Whitfield has this to say, his preaching at Jonathan Edwards Church. He says, preached this morning and good Mr. Edwards wept during the whole time. The people were equally affected and in the afternoon the power increased yet more. And then Mrs. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' wife said, it's wonderful to see what a spell he casts over an audience by proclaiming the simplest truths of the Bible. Quite clearly, brethren, this ascension gift is real. It's tangible. It has, it has people, as it were, or rather, it's demonstrable. People are there who've been gifted and not every elder. And we can see that even in, in, in our churches. Not every elder has that gift. If we begin to say that everyone, every elder can preach, we're denying the church of this vital ministry, this vital gift that Christ has given. Imagine you've got seven elders in a church and they do a round robin. Every seventh week you've got that man who is gifted, particularly gifted, who is preaching. It's like, the way I see it, it's like you're inviting people to your house for a meal. Every seven weeks. One week they've got delicious food, and then for six weeks, not so good, and so on. You can't build a church like that. You've got to have this man who is gifted, a distinguished gift, a gift that remains with that person until they die. And this is the interesting thing. Elders have to be elected and re-elected. If you move town, you don't carry your eldership with you, do you? You have to be re-elected. And some people never get elected in some churches. But the minister, he carries that gift with him wherever he goes. And when he retires, and uh, I'm not going to uh, say much about retirement, but when a minister retires, I think my time is up, isn't it? Yes. I've got one minute. When a minister retires, he still has his gift doesn't go away and you know it makes a difference when someone who is gifted speaks people listen 
someone who is not, people will say, what's, what's he talking about? And people have struggled. It's not their fault. If a person has a gift, it's from the Lord. And it's nothing to boast about. My time's up. May the Lord bless us to make sure in our churches that we put priority on the ministry of Jesus Christ because at the end of the age he's presenting his bride built up, edified, ready for him. Amen.